Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. In this episode, I talk with a true force of nature, Katrina Williams, head of sales and ITS capability for CDW, the technology giant. Welcome to The Indispensables. I'm Bruce Tolgan. Today, I have Katrina Williams, the head of sales and ITS capability for CDW, a zillion-dollar provider of technology solutions to business, government, education, healthcare. CDW is an amazing company. I've had the tremendous privilege um, of working with them, and Katrina is one of the most important people in that organization, and I am so pleased to have you on The Indispensables. Katrina, welcome. Thank you so much, Bruce. Your introduction, far too kind, but I love being here with you today. I'm super excited to, to have this conversation with you and be a part of the Indispensables. So thank you. I've been working now with CDW for long enough that I've watched you skyrocket up the chain of command and every step of the way, you know, I'm always asking people, well, tell me about some of these people in the room. I, I always say, you know, the indispensables are the ones who make it on everybody's list. And, you know, you are one of the first names people mention. Oh, well, Katrina. Oh, well, Katrina can take care of that. Well, oh, Katrina did that. Uh, oh, well, that's Katrina. Well, probably Katrina will do that. <laughs> you know, so you are <laughs> truly, again, I always say, how do you know the go-to people? Who is everyone going to? I, I, it's so flattering to hear. And I'm just so glad that so many people see me that way because it's something that I really strive to be for everybody. And I think we'll be able to have some great conversation about that today and why that's really my approach and, and something that I hope all of our coworkers are able to always know that Katrina is somebody that they can come to. What's your story? How does somebody get to be Katrina Williams? Yeah, you know, um, I don't know that everybody would want to be Katrina Williams, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, Bruce, I, th I think not unlike many others I've heard tell their leadership story, you know, mine really started as a child. Those formative years that really help you to become the the human and the adult that you are, you know, no different for me as well. And and those formative years are are the great times and the great memories and the great experiences you've had. And, and they're also the challenges that make you who you are. You know, as a child, came from very, very humble beginnings. Parents who were working multiple jobs to, to keep a roof over our head and, and food on the table. One of the things they always, always kept in front of my sister and I was take advantage of every opportunity that's put in front of you. You take advantage of the educational opportunity. You take advantage advantage of the experience that you've never had before because they wanted us to have access to things they didn't. So it was about taking advantage of those opportunities, really valuing your education. With valuing the education, I will tell you, I, I was an average at best student. But I can only assume you were doing lots of extracurricular activities. Oh, I was super involved. You know that. And, and that's where the leadership piece of it really comes in. I was an average at best student, but I tried really hard. 
I worked really hard. And it was one of those things that could never really understand why I was an average at best student. And and we'll talk about how that loops back later on in my leadership story. But I was involved. And I learned early on that I really got a lot of energy from leadership type roles. And, And that started with something as simple as maybe contributing to the school newspaper and then wanting to get more involved there, being a part of student government, you know, seeking then the elected position within your student government, from the captain of the cheerleading squad to organizing toy drives for the holidays for children in our community who otherwise might not receive gifts. So those were the types of things that gave me so much energy. I was really fortunate to recognize that energy I got from that early on. And so it's it's always been that spirit of making sure I'm personally seizing all the opportunities, but also making sure that those are tied somehow to giving back. When you look at leadership, you need to get your energy and your passion and be driven by making sure you're taking advantage of those opportunities. But those opportunities have to give something back. And you're one of those people like you put yourself through college and got yourself an MBA and you were working the whole time. And one of the things I think of sometimes when, because sometimes people will say to me, oh, I was a clown when I was young, but then I learned. What do you do if you're not born with that? Or were you born with that? Or did your parents drill that into you? Or like either you have it or you don't? What do you think about that? I think everybody has it. I think it's a matter of finding the passion. What is it that sparks that in you? Everybody has something. It's just a matter of if you're willing to take risks and chances on something to try something new and you might find your spark and your passion there. I have a feeling that if I popped you onto the back of a a sanitation truck, you know, within like six to 12 months, you'd be running the sanitation department. You know what? It's so funny you say that because I'll remember, I remember the first time that I volunteered for the PTO when my oldest was uh, newly in elementary school and my husband said, you know, you're going to be running that soon, right? And I can tell you that I am on my third run as PTO president. So you're spot on, Bruce. And um, that's something that people have told me. And it, it's about, though, you coming back to that. Why are you going to do something? Like if you're, if you're going to do something, it's worth doing it really well. If that's what it is, I'm going to do it really well. And I'm in it to help other people and the organization I'm there to serve to really accomplish their potential. Right. And I know that's true of you. And and one of the things I, I when I was preparing uh, for this interview, because I was thinking like Katrina's a different cat. I'm fond of saying, oh, you don't have to be a natural leader. You can learn and get better at leadership. Some people are. I think you are one of those. You know, I always say you don't have to be that person who can light the fire in someone else's belly, infect them with your enthusiasm, always show up. But you, some people do that. And so what can people learn from being that? Because they can't uh, make themselves a natural leader, but they can imitate. You know, I think at, at the end of the day, If you can't find alignment, again, it goes back to that passion for me. I mean, find what you care about. Find what you're willing to take risks for and align align your professional career with that. Unless you're able to do that, I don't know how you can bring 110% every day. And if you can't find the fire in the belly yourself, how are you going to help somebody else find it? I think that's where it really comes down to it is you got to love what you do. 
a lot. When you do, it's infectious and people are going to be drawn into you and people are going to want to be engaged with you and they're going to want to learn from you and you're going to want to share that. And you seem like you have a real through line, which would, which is a very convenient to have a passion for helping other people succeed. Right. Because that would be true if you were working at the YMCA. It would be true if you were in the army. It would be true if you were working at, you know, Walmart. Right. Anywhere you would be if there are people. And so it seems like leadership per se is is your thing. Helping, guiding, directing, supporting, coaching, setting people up for success. What a gift for anyone who has the chance to work with you. Thank you. I really do get a lot more enjoyment. I have an immense amount of pride for when I see others achieve success. And that's the little milestone goal that they're trying to hit along the way. And it's the big kahuna that they wanted. Every step of the way, I get so excited. And that's, I'll, I'll never forget the day I felt that for the first time. It, it, and, and that was when it was like, it's time for me to formally pursue leadership. I was so much more excited about that individual's success than, than you know, the big deal I closed that day. When that's where it turns, that's when you know it's time. It was time to formally pursue leadership. And just so people understand, because uh, for those who don't know CDW, uh, these are people who get it, meaning they get IT. But but when you guys uh, really do have, like, so in around 2003, it would have been a time where you guys were going in and explaining to folks, hey, look what we can do to help you start uh, transforming your business using information technology. And, and so it really is, I love you say the value, because I, I think this is true as a salesperson. It's true as a leader. Leader. I think it's true as a human being that if you focus on what can I do for other people, like the, even the more uh, ambitious and selfish you are, well, if what you want to be is valuable, you got to be valuable to someone, right? And so the more you think about how can I serve, how can I add value, it creates an upward spiral. It does. I mean, that energy is so compounding. It's really powerful if you think about it, because that's where you get to pass it on too. That, that's where you really unlock servant leadership. And if you can share that with others, others are able to have that experience and they're able to get it. And then they can share that experience. It's like a tidal wave that can take over an entire organization and create this culture of servant leadership and focusing on how we all provide value to others. And whether that other be an end customer, whether it be the coworker that is, you know, in this with you and on the team with you, whether it's somebody that you're in a formal leadership relationship with, the energy that that can generate alone, the, the culture that that can create, you end up with this high performing organization, all focused on driving value, value to people, value to the organization, value to our customers. That's contagious. And, and then it's also sticky. People don't want to leave that. Nobody wants to leave an organization where they are so involved and invested and they know they're being invested in. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I see that every time I work with folks at CDW, and it's fun to work with the salespeople because 
boy, it didn't take me long to realize, oh, so they're introducing these incredible resources to big institutions. And um, in doing that, they're giving these institutions you know, monumental returns at their bottom line, right? So you're really serving customers. But the other thing that it, it didn't take me long to figure out that, oh, these salespeople are making a fortune. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> uh, and, then the, and then the other salespeople further down the chain are looking up and saying, oh, I could be like that. You know, th there's a real internal striving around that culture. It comes from the bottom because I've seen it. But I know also you guys have a CEO who's very service oriented and, and I think uh, is fond of saying that customers are at the center and coworkers at our side. And I know anytime I ever use the word employees or direct reports at CDW, I am corrected. No, it's coworkers. It's not happening. <laughs> we are all coworkers. We're in it together. It's it's a pretty special place and, and it's a pretty special culture. And that permeates through the entire organization. And when we say coworker, we really mean it. We are in this together. And whether you are the CEO or someone who is a new hire into the organization, you are there for a reason. We saw something in you that made us want you to be a part of the team. You are there to be a part of our strategy. You've got a role. And as leaders, we take pretty seriously that everybody understand what their role is in that vision. And I think that's something that's oftentimes missed. How often do people hire new coworkers to join their team? And I say to leaders all the time, have you told those coworkers why you hired them? Do they know what you saw in them that made you say, I want you to be a part of this team? That is a beautiful point. Let me underline that. When you hire someone, do you tell them, here's what I saw in you? That is so great. I love that. It's funny, you know, we're looking a lot at people who turn over in the first two years of a job. And one of the, the first thing they say is, oh, well, they told me it was going to be X, Y, Z, and it turned out to be nothing like X, Y, Z, right? So they have buyer's remorse. But the second reason is their onboarding experience. I love that. That's beautiful. I've never heard someone say that. And as Dale Carnegie would say, it gives them something to live up to. Well, and they know they're not assuming what value the leader thinks they bring to the team, they actually know, and it helps them find their place. You know, maybe it was the team was missing expertise in XYZ, and you had that. Man, we want you to share that with others, too. And, and that engages people differently. Like you're saying, right at the beginning part of their career, engage them. Help them see how they play into the bigger picture. Help them understand why we think it's important that they're here. And that is a piece of onboarding that every manager in any organization can latch on to that. So what happens, uh, I know, you know you've been around this organization for 22 years. What happens when, when somebody disappoints? How do you deal with that? You must have run across people who are having a bad day or a bad week or a bad year. What's your approach to that? You know, my approach to it starts before the person ever has the bad day. I'm a firm believer, and, and I think this is another part of our culture that's just really cool. You can't go up to somebody on a day that they've had a bad day and try to have a really open two-way conversation about it if you haven't done your work beforehand 
to build a meaningful relationship that is grounded in mutual respect, one where the coworker knows if you have feedback for them, that's maybe a little bit more difficult to hear, you're delivering that feedback from a place of care. And, and you can't get there unless you do your work on the front side with everybody to create that environment of psychological safety where people can look at these as opportunities to learn and grow instead of punishments. Yeah, right. So first and foremost, you're building trust and confidence. You're making a connection around the work, but also you're making expectations clear so that if you come back and say, hey, you didn't do this, and they say, well, you didn't make it clear. Or, hey, you didn't do this right. And they say, well, you don't have all the facts. And then to be a leader who's like, wow, I don't have all the facts. Maybe I didn't make it clear. That conversation is not going to be a good conversation. And, and maybe, and I think this is a really dangerous point too, if you don't have that trust, you don't have the confidence, you don't have everybody understanding that we're in this for success together and that you personally have care and concern for the coworker, how do you create an environment where that coworker says to you, actually, Katrina, you didn't make the expectations clear to me. What would have been helpful is if I knew more about that up front. They're never going to say that. You're going to get a, okay, boss, and somebody's going to walk away. But nobody grows in that situation. So it's also about creating the environment where the coworkers can say that to you and say, I needed something different from you in that moment. Yeah. And, and, and to know each other well enough to know, is that person pushing back? Is that person trying to hide? Or is that, no, that's authentic. Like, whoa, you know, I got to look at myself as a leader here and uh, leadership really matters. I mean, if leadership doesn't matter, then this is all window dressing. But if you believe that, no, leadership matters and leadership is a profound responsibility, uh, then leaders want to get better at leading. But, but, but okay, but let me take it a step further. What, if, what about when you do make it clear? You make it clear every five minutes. And then, it, you know, I mean, what, how do you deal with that frustration when somebody's just not picking up what you're putting down? You know, the interesting part is you have it happen plenty of times, but it's always a little bit different as to why it happened. You can't hide out. We all still have a job to do. We have to help the coworker understand why. Why maybe are they not meeting the expectations that have been made clear? Let's let's go on this explorative journey together to talk about, well, you know, we met on XYZ date and we did discuss this and it was followed up with an email stating the expectations. If they were unclear, why didn't you ask? Because again, we've done our work beforehand to create an environment where that's welcome on the team and it's encouraged on the team to seek clarity and to ask questions. Why didn't you? Yeah, I think that's that's a great answer because it really illustrates how much doesn't happen in, in the crucial conversation. The work doesn't happen in the confrontation. The work happens in knowing as a leader, you're dotting your I's, you're crossing your T's, you're doing everything you can to set the person up for success. You know, it's interesting. Some, some managers will say to me, the hardest thing for them is telling somebody when they haven't met expectations. And I am always thinking to myself, I bet you didn't make them clear because if you make them clear, then it's not hard. And the other person is much less likely to say this is unfair. They're much more likely. To, I mean, there's nowhere to go. You've been holding my hand every step of the way. What else am I supposed to do? Right. What else are you supposed to do? You can't hide out. And if you do that, you make it really uncomfortable for the people that do want to hide out. And sometimes you just have to get to a point of a conversation 
I've done my part, but I can't want this success for you more than you want it for yourself. Right. And it's, it's like, like, sorry, you know, you don't get it. You don't fit in here at CDW because we're a bunch of superstars. Uh, when we come back, uh, I'm going to talk with you about the joy of uh, working with superstars. We're here with Katrina Williams of CDW and we'll be back in just a minute. Hey, if you are enjoying this podcast, you'll want to check out the exclusive Career Coach podcast with me, Lisa Edwards. I cover all things career management for high-achieving mid-career professionals. As a 30-year veteran of career coaching and one of 23 master resume writers in the world, I am your go-to expert in managing your career path. Topics include resume writing, interviewing, LinkedIn, job search strategies, managing expectations with your boss, leadership, and so much more. Each episode provides you with actionable steps you can take. For example, on episode 176, How to Really Prepare for a Job Interview, I give you 11 tips to help you ace your next job interview. The Exclusive Career Coach Podcast has won multiple awards, including Top Job Search Podcast by JobScan and Top Career Management Podcast by MaxList. So hop on over to the Exclusive Career Coach Podcast to listen and subscribe. See you there. We're back with Katrina Williams, head of sales and ITS capability for the zillion dollar technology company, CDW. Katrina, welcome back. Thanks so much. Glad to be back. And where we left off was uh, dealing with people who just don't get it. Yeah. Uh, but but CDW is filled with 11,000 or so people who do. And uh, you've been here long enough that you, you're, you have the privilege of being surrounded by superstars, up, down, sideways, and diagonal. What does somebody have to do to be a superstar in your mind? I, I love this. You know, I, I am so privilege and it's not lost on me that I really get an opportunity every single day to work with some of the best leaders that are out there, the best people in our industry. And and I will stand up to that challenge every single day to defend that. I, I believe it with every ounce of my being. When I think about that real superstar leadership, what does that look like? How does that How does that show every day? When I think about our CEO, there is authenticity there all day long. When you have the top leader in the organization showing authenticity every single day, that automatically gives everyone permission to be authentic themselves, right? And I think that is so incredibly powerful. I get to work with leaders who are just some of the most strategic business leaders day in and day out where they just embody thinking big, the the thinking outside the realm of what others might think about. That's a lot of fun to be around, right? It, it gives permission for creativity. It gives permission to not fail fast, learn fast. And, and who doesn't want to be learning and growing and developing and being a part of that? Superstar leadership is really also about genuinely being in it and ensuring that coworkers understand that you're invested in them, invested in them and their growth and their development and here to help them with that. That's all what superstar leadership looks like. It's transparency. It is being committed. It's being invested. It's being authentic. It's being strategic. It's not afraid of taking risks. It's so much 
fun to be around all of that. And and I'll tell you, I always welcome new coworkers to our family. And I believe it and I mean it because to me, all of those things I just talked about, we're in it together, right? We're growing, we're developing, we're learning together. We're our authentic selves and, and we're not only allowed to be that, but we're expected to be our authentic selves. And when you're in a situation like that, that's a family. And and that's really how I think about our work relationships and what I think I've learned from just these amazing leaders that I've been able to be surrounded by here. Let me just ask you, so I know some of the people um, uh, with whom you've worked and, and I know authenticity, transparency, directness, Thinking big, strategic thinking, um, uh, being in it for people and serving others. I know some people, uh, it comes naturally to them. But what do you do when you identify somebody who you think has, maybe has what it takes? You know, you want to mold some of that potential. You know, what is that experience like? Like, what do you do when you see someone who has that potential and you want to, you want to build that person up? I think first you got to tell them you see that potential in them and and then give them the chance to explore that, like give them the chance to explore their potential. One of the ways, not just me at CDW, this is something our coworkers experience all over the place. Give them the chance to do meaningful work that allows them to stretch, that allows them to explore the possibilities and, and really give meaningful stretch assignments, meaningful work in ways that they can do that. And and don't just give the work and then kind of walk away and ask them to give you a debrief later, right? Be there with them to coach and guide along the way. Give that feedback in the moment. Here's what went really well. Here's what you could do differently next time. Here's how you can go and learn more about that. Give that feedback in the meantime, right when you're there riding along with them. Be that encouragement every step of the way. It's not always going to be rainbows and sunshine, right? When when you're going through these projects, they're meant to be learning experiences, right? And and we all know, again, it's, it's not fail fast, it's learn fast. Uh, I mean, some people are going to fail, but if you help them uh, along the way, maybe they're about to fail. You can instead say, hey, you were about to fail. Why don't you learn here instead and let's walk around this ditch rather than stumble into it? Absolutely. Right. And I always like to say fail first attempt in learning. So so let's let's learn from that. What are we going to do differently next time? Constantly reevaluate, reassess and help the coworker go through that you know process. But I really like the fact that you're saying not fail fast, because one of the things that I always find kind of peculiar is when people are like, well, I like to let people learn from their own failures. And I always think, well, gee, how, how, how cruel of you. Why wouldn't you help stop them just before they fail? Tell them, hey, this was going to be a fail point, but let's walk around this failure and and let's talk about we can still learn from it without you falling into that ditch. You know, take a step back in the planning process, even of anything you're doing. And everybody likes to talk about what success looks like. What does success look like when we're done with this? And what are the wonderful things that we're going to accomplish together? And that, don't get me wrong. That's an important step. You need to do it. But what if this goes wrong? What does that look like? What might have caused that? And how do we plan to avoid that up front? 
And sometimes people need coaching on that. It's it's our nature to say, this is going to be great. And here's what we want to do. Nobody goes into things. It's like nobody wakes up in the morning saying, eh, I'm going to do the worst possible job I can today. No, I, I genuinely believe people don't wake up like that in the morning. Nobody goes into a stretch assignment saying, well, this is going to be a disaster, right? No, you, you always focus on what you're going to be able to accomplish. And that is great. But if you don't look at that other side, th- there could be some real dangers there. And so take a moment to step back and say, if this doesn't go well, what does it look like? What's the impact of the business? And what could cause that? So we can just anticipate that and and avoid it. And if it does start to go wrong, let's uh, have an early warning system there so we can identify the problem while it's still small and solve it quickly and recalibrate. Absolutely. That reflect and readjust piece is so critically important especially in this crazy world we're living. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. I mean, this is uncharted territory for any of us. We've never been through this before, right? So I feel like over the last 18 months, all we've done is is reassess and realign, right? And it's, uh, you know, everything's changing constantly. And the resiliency and, and agility that's been required is something I hope we never lose. Like we're exercising those muscles right now. And I hope we continue to do so. And I hope we never lose that because we need them. And- And one of the things I was thinking about is I have the sense that, you know, there's this sort of how to make everything into knowledge work. And some people will say, oh, well, there's knowledge work and then there's not knowledge work. And I'm of the belief that knowledge work is not about what you do. It's about how you do it. And I think the way you talk about leadership, the way you talk about work is really all about making everything into knowledge work and uh, learning along the way. And I get the sense that if you were uh, leading a team who were digging ditches, or I'm almost sure you're the kind of leader who would make that into knowledge work. I think everything can be knowledge work, right? Because you, you don't want me out there digging that ditch because I assure you, I wouldn't do it the right way. I'd like to learn how to teach me. Help me understand the how and the why behind that how. It's actually that that component of the how is what really first attracted me to CDW. It, It wasn't just the what we did at the time and what we've grown and evolved into today, but it was the how we did it that I believed in so much, where I knew this was the place for me. I actually put all of my eggs in one basket and only applied at CDW. I did not apply anywhere else. And you'll hear this story from a lot of my coworkers as well, that when you really learn more about the organization, there was just this true commitment to an alignment of values and what was important and and the fact that it's not just the what, but it's the how. And what's kept me here for 22 years is the fact that we live that every single day. I think sales is one of the most powerful learning jobs. Like salespeople, people who learn to be really good at sales, the the skills they learn are so transferable. There's so much more to it. I think first, it's it's this idea of mission-driven. Are, are we rocket scientists? No. We brain surgeons? No. But you know what? We help those rocket scientists do what they need to do. We help those brain surgeons save lives. Our work can help people when natural disasters have 
have hit and technology is desperately needed, we can help deploy that. We can help our corporate customers who have their own mission and vision and values execute on those and deliver joy to their customers. And and I think the really unique thing about sales, if looked at this way, What other line of work can you go into where you are focused on your customer and what it is they're trying to deliver? And through that, you immerse yourself in their business. You learn about that business because you can't really be a partner with that person if you don't learn about their business. What other line of work can you go into where you are going to learn so much about so many other industries and what makes them tick and and what is it that they're trying to deliver and how do they see their future and the vision? And, you know, I, I challenge somebody to find another area of work where they really get to learn about this through so many different industries and just get a better perspective, honestly, of the world and how the world functions, right? Just by learning so much. So you you do. I mean, we're we're in it for our customers. Customers are in the center of everything we do. And and our coworkers are at our sides to help us deliver on that. By the way, I think that's especially true at CDW because what you sell is the technology infrastructure, you know, everybody needs now. I also have this like sense that even if you're selling Girl Scout cookies, like Either you're focused on, I need to get that money for the trip to, you know, the Girl Scout trip, or you're in it because you're like, this is your chance to get your Girl Scout cookies this year. Uh, Knock, knock, knock. If you don't buy them from me, you're not going to get Girl Scout cookies this year. Like, I know you want your Girl Scout cookies. When you can focus on what it is for the customer, there's something kind of, I have this view of sales that's that's upside down or inside out or whatever it is. It's It's that... When you can really tune into what are you getting out of this, you know? Well, and I love that you use the example of Girl Scout cookies. So I'm a big storyteller. I love connecting with people and uh, through stories and, and sharing stories. So Bruce, I've got a, a freezer full of Thin Mints that I stock up on every year. But here's the thing. I have one little Girl Scout, Piper. She's awesome who understood and learned that my son had a food allergy. And she knew that Thin Mints were safe for him because they're dairy-free. They're actually vegan. I think a lot of people probably don't know that, and I didn't know that before Piper told me. And so you know what? I buy a freezer full of them from Piper every year because it's a cookie my son can have and enjoy. So nobody minds having a freezer full of Thin Mints. But here's the thing, like, it doesn't matter what you're selling understand why people need it and how does it help them with something they need help with. Doesn't matter what it is. It's a good for a reason because people need it. Why do they need it? And how can you connect with those people to understand why they need it? And how do you help them based upon that? I mean, I think it makes you a better person when you just focus on what do you have to offer other people? And if you're in sales, the only difference is, you know, sorry, we can't put a whole technology infrastructure into your business for free because that's what we do for a living. <laughs> and, and and so this is a good dovetail with the, the skill set, right? Because if you learn to be good at selling, you know, this is something that will make you valuable anywhere you go. It, it's, it's funny you say that because um, I had a friend of mine once say, you know, I could never be in sales. So seek to understand. Tell me why. Well, I don't, I just, I couldn't ever do that. I couldn't be 
selling to people all day long and, you know, trying to get them to understand why they they needed to believe in what I was selling and, and what I was doing and why it was important for them. And I said, okay, go on a journey with me. This person happens to be a teacher. And we walked through their day. And I said, feels to me like you're selling to your students all day about why that subject is important to them. Why is it worth their time learning? You're helping them with strategies to help them be more successful in that. That's what I'm doing too as a seller. Different audience, but it's the same thing. So I like to say, regardless of what your title might actually be, your industry might actually be, aren't we all in sales? I mean, if you are, you know, they say, oh, you got to get buy-in, right? You got to seek to understand. Then you have to get people to buy in and you know, so that's a description of leadership, but why buy in, right? Buy in, you're seeking buy in, well, then you're selling. So it is the indispensable skill. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and I believe, you know, look, some people are born to it. Some people, uh, they had uh, very uh, early stage experiences that, that gave them the drive or gave them the empathy or gave them the ability to be persuasive. If, if somebody's listening to this and saying, well, how do I learn how to do that? What's your advice to them? Focus on the others, right? It's, it's got to start with the other people involved. Understand what it is that they're trying to accomplish. What are their goals? What are their aspirations? What are the desired outcomes? What's the impact of those outcomes? And how can you help bring that to life for them? If somebody were riding up an elevator with you and you had just an elevator ride to give them some career advice, what would be your elevator ride career advice? Be resilient. In life, there are setbacks. And I always love to say more people will watch how you react when something doesn't go your way than watch when it does. The good news is we all get to choose how we react. I also think share your goals and aspirations early and often. You'll find amazing people along the way who want to help you get there. Lastly, this is a long elevator ride. Have amazingly strong, accurate self-insight. You can't always wait for somebody to give you that feedback too. You've got to be able to catch it in the moment. And you've got to be able to do self-reflection. And you've got to be able to course correct. Be resilient. Share what you want early and often and have amazing, accurate self-insight. Katrina Williams, thank you for being a guest on The Indispensables. Thank you. It's been just a joy to speak with you. Likewise. In our next episode, I'll talk with Peter Klein and Kevin Bryant from Educated Change. Oh, wait till you hear these guys. By the way, Kevin Bryant is the father of a prior guest, Haley Bryant from Animals. Wait till you hear these two guys. They're, uh, they're, they're an incredible pair and their approach to business, it's extraordinary. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.